Good evening. Israeli's flag day, Al-Aqsa Mosque raided. President Biden and the First Lady go to Texas to visit a memorial for the children and teachers killed by a gunman. And we hear a speech from President Biden to the University of Delaware commencement, a confrontation with Ted Cruz and Donald Trump at it again. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Sunday, May 29th, 2022. Colombians went to the polls today to elect a new president and vice president. The top three candidates vying for the position during a heated and divisive campaign are Gustavo Petro, Federico Guterres, and Rodolfo Hernandez. Colombia's current conservative president, Ivan Duque, was hurt by his heavy-handed tactics towards protesters in an electorate that's younger and ready for a progressive voice at the top. Leftist candidate Gustavo Petro, the former mayor of Bogota and guerrilla leader, is leading in the polls. His running mate, Afro-Colombian environmental activist Marquez, has galvanized the electorate with her promise, Francia Marquez has galvanated, uh, pardon, pardon, pardon me, galvanized the election with her promise to fight for Colombia's nobodies. Unless Petro reaches the 50% threshold to stave off a second round of elections, Colombia is likely to hold a runoff on June 19th, in which the top two candidates will face off. Hernandez, the businessman and former mayor of the northern mid-sized city of Bucaramanga, is running on an anti-corruption platform, while Guterres, the former mayor of Medellin, Colombia's second largest city, has much of the same voter base as President Duque's white right-wing voters. The election has been marked by threats of violence and growing distrust in the country's institutions. Colombia's election body, the Natural Registrar, initially failed to count more than one million votes in March's congressional elections, and much of Monday's presidential debate focused on the candidates' concerns over electoral fraud. This distrust could lead candidates to contest the outcome of the election, potentially leading to unrest. Unrest is already occurring at the gates of Jerusalem's old city. Thousands of far-right Israelis stormed Damascus Gate and occupied East Jerusalem to mark what they call a flag march in the city sacred to three major religions. Israel's Flag Day calls for unifying Jerusalem. Israel occupied the city in 1967, but its subsequent annexation is not internationally recognized. The rightists chanted racist slogans such as death to Arabs as they marched through the streets of the old city. Meanwhile, Israeli forces have dispersed Palestinian protesters after a splinter group of Jewish nationalists started waving flags inside Al-Aqsa Mosque, one of the holiest sites in Islam. That's been the focus of numerous clashes with Israeli police in recent weeks. Some Jewish worshippers also prayed at the mosque compound, violating a long-standing agreement in place since 1967. In related news, Israeli settlers have attacked the village of Borin, south of Nablus, and occupied West Bank. The attackers threw Molotov cocktails, but there were no reported injuries. Earlier in the day, Israeli forces fired tear gas towards Palestinian protesters at the Israeli-controlled Hawara checkpoint further south from Borin. And President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden sought Sunday to comfort a city grieving the killings of 19 elementary school 
pupils and two teachers at the hands of a gunman. They visited Robb Elementary School at Uvalde, Texas, where the 19 children and two teachers were gunned down this week. Faced with chance of do something as he departed a church service to meet privately with the families, Biden responded, we will. The visit to Uvalde was Biden's second trip in as many weeks to console a community mourning a staggering loss after a shooting. He traveled to Buffalo, New York on May 17th to meet with victims' families and condemn white supremacy after a shooter espousing the racist replacement theory killed 10 black people at a supermarket. Vice President Kamala Harris was in Buffalo to attend the funeral of the oldest victim of the Buffalo shooting. Enough is enough. We will come together based on what we all know we have in common and we will not let those people who are motivated by hate separate us or make us feel fear. Ruth Whitfield, the last of the 10 victims of the May 14th massacre at the Tops on Jefferson Avenue, was laid to rest. The vice president met privately with the Whitfield family before services began. After the funeral, Harris's motorcade stopped on Jefferson Avenue at the memorial outside the shuttered supermarket. And back in Uvalde, Texas, the father of one of the victims said kids would have been saved if police didn't hesitate to engage the shooter. Alfred Garza, whose 10-year-old daughter, Amari Joe, was killed by the gunman, who barricaded himself in a classroom, unleashing more than 100 shots as police kept parents from entering the school. Officials reveal Friday students and teachers repeatedly begged 911 operators for help as a police commander held them back. Nevertheless, opinions were divided on the police failure to enter the building and engage the shooter. What kind of job do they have? I mean, they're like this is in the back, on the back of the cop car to protect and serve. Protect who? Why didn't, why didn't they protect the kids? We really need to be careful with what we say, especially when our emotions are high. We need to let things cool down a little bit so we can think clearly. Uh, you don't know what these police officers are going through. The director of the Texas Department of Public Safety, Stephen McCraw, admitted cops made the wrong decision by waiting outside the school. The on-scene commander considering a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no ch more children at risk. Obviously, ob obviously, you know, based upon the information we have, there were children in that classroom that were at risk, and it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject. Hey, hey, with the benefit of hey, with the benefit of hindsight, hey, the benefit of hey, stand by, stand by, hey, stand by, hey, stand by, right? I got it. I got, I got it. Okay. Hey, from the for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, that of course it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision. Period. There's no no excuse for that. But again, I wasn't there. But I'm just telling you, from what we know, we believe there should have been an entry at that as soon as you can. We take an oath to uphold the law and protect people. And anytime something tragic like that, we want to know why it happened and if we can do better next time. Is it bottom line? and call it like it is. It is tragic. Quite frankly, I mean, there shouldn't be anybody. You know, ideally, we've been able to finish for, you know, identify this guy as a suspect and address it before he even thought about attacking 
And McGraw presented a timeline of the shooting, a partial segment of that timeline presented here. 11.28, the suspect vehicle crashes into the ditch. There were two males at a funeral home. That When they heard the crash, they went to the crash scene. When they arrived at the crash scene, before they got there, they saw a man with a gun exit the passenger side with a backpack. And they immediately began running. Ramos began shooting at him. It did not hit him. 11.31, the suspect shooting began at the school while patrol vehicles got to the funeral home. There was multiple shots fired at the school at 11.32, at 11.32, 27, 11.32, 36. At 11.33 is when the suspect entered the school at the door that I'm pointing to now. At 11.33, the suspect began shooting into room 111 or 112. He shot more than 100 rounds based on the audio evidence at that time, at least 100 rounds. At 12.15, we know that BORTAC members arrived. Not the entire BORTAC, but members of BORTAC, along with Shields. Again, at 12.16, she's called back and said there was eight to nine students alive. At 12.19, a 911 call was made, and, and another person in room 111 called. I will not say her name. She hung up when another student told her to hang up. At 12.21, you could hear over the 911 call that three shots were fired. At 12.36, the 911 call, it lasted for 21 seconds. The initial caller called back, student, child, called back was told to stay on the line and be very quiet. At 12.46, she said she could not, she, that she could hear the police next door. At 12.50, shots are fired. They can be heard. They killed the suspect. At that time, at 12.51, is very loud and sounds like the officers are moving children out of the room. What happened during that one hour, more than one hour, that police were gathered outside the building? something for the investigations to look into for sure. In related news, the Department of Justice announced today it will review the law enforcement response and make its findings public. On Saturday, President Biden spoke to graduates at his alma mater, the University of Delaware in Newark. He compared the students to the 1965 graduating class at the start of the civil rights movement. He says, now it's your hour. Democracy is a human enterprise. We do many things well. Sometimes we fall short. That's true in our own lives. It's true in the life of the nation. And yet democracy makes progress possible. And progress comes when we begin to see each other again, not as enemies, but as neighbors. It's your generation, more than anyone else, who will have to answer the question, who are we? What do we stand for? What do we believe? Who will we be? And so to the university class of 2022, there's no limit on what you can do, I promise you. So get going for God's sake. Godspeed on your journey, keep the faith and take it back, please. This is yours, take it back, we need you. President Biden on Saturday delivering the commencement speech at the University of Delaware.
And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Meanwhile, just 250 miles from Uvalde in Houston, the National Rifle Association has been holding its annual convention where gun owners say they're the victims of the murders in Uvalde, too, as part of the culture wars between urban liberals and conservative gun owners. At a Houston restaurant, a protester approached Senator Ted Cruz, who tried to have a conversation, though he was unmoved by demands for more restrictive gun laws. While it might be difficult to hear, basically the protester was uh, continuously asking uh, Ted Cruz what he would do. He didn't really give him much of a chance to speak, maybe because he knew Ted's mind was made up. But it was inside the convention center where the keynote speaker, former President Donald Trump, blasted Democrats for blaming the Republicans. Even more repulsive is their rush to shift blame away from the villains who commit acts of mass violence and to place that blame onto the shoulders of millions of peaceful, law-abiding citizens who belong to organizations such as our wonderful NRA. When Joe Biden blamed the gun lobby, he was talking about Americans like you, shamefully suggesting that Republicans are somehow okay with letting school shootings. As always, in the wake of these tragedies, the various gun control policies being pushed by the left would have done nothing to prevent the horror that took place. Absolutely nothing. Ignoring the reports of police in action at the elementary school, Trump then continued to raise the shibboleth of defunding the police. The Biden administration's war on police must end, and it must end right now. We will no longer defund. Thank you. We will no longer defund the police, and we will no longer even mention defunding of the police. We will never mention it again. Great American heroes. And... If allowed to do their job, they will do it like nobody else can. All of those crime statistics will be cut so in such a big way. You'll be so proud. You'll be so proud to be an American. Former President Donald Trump speaking at the National Rifle Association convention in Houston, Texas over the weekend. Numerous conspiracy theories about the school shootings were on display and have made it to social media. Claims of false flags, crisis actors, and a plot to discredit gun owners were hotly promoted, and a general fear among gun owners that a government in Washington, foreign to their culture and interests, was more fearful than the shootings. In related news, Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona pleaded for urgent action from lawmakers to address school safety in the United States. Students and teachers and school leaders are scared that after Columbine, after Sandy Hook, after Parkland, after each of these and the many other massacres, we as educators did our best to look parents in the eyes and assure them that we'll do everything to protect their babies. After each of these massacres, we've held staff trainings, active shooter drills. We've numbered our windows for easier access for law enforcement. We've improved online early detection screening tools, and we've secured our entrances and perimeters. 
That is no match for what we're up against. That was no match for Irma Garcia and no match for Eva Mireles and those 19 beautiful souls. Educators across the country have and would give their lives to protect children, but damn it, that's not enough. Unless you've gone to a funeral of a child, you'll never know. We can do better and we must do better. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona, he was appearing for a House hearing for the Education Department's 2023 budget proposal. The federal government was already planning to double the number of school counselors, nurses and mental health professionals in K-12 school. K-12 schools with a $1 billion investment through the Department of Education amid mounting calls to address student mental health. And outside the NRA convention, the Democratic candidate for governor of Texas, Beto O'Rourke, joined hundreds of protesters. He said the NRA are not our enemies, but he insisted it was time for action on gun control. Including those who've lost, those who are most dear to them, who will say it is too soon for us to talk about what we are going to do. But the time for us to have stopped Uvalde was right after Sandy Hook. The time for us to have stopped Uvalde was right after Parkland. The time for us to have stopped Uvalde was right after Santa Fe High School. The time for us to stop the next mass shooting in this country is right now, right here, with every single one of us. And to those everywhere, in El Paso, in Sutherland Springs, in Midland, Odessa, in Houston, Texas, to those who've lost somebody, but because it happens so much in this country, it has numbed us, and their names never made the newspaper, they may never be remembered, to those who still live with their wounds from gun violence, disabled today, not able to live as they did the day before, I want you to know that not only are we with you right now, we are taking action at this very moment. That is on all of us to do. Democratic candidate for governor of Texas, Beto O'Rourke. GOP Senator John Cornyn insisted his party was concerned with the death of children, too. He said Republicans are also parents. Well, Mr. President, today is supposed to be the last day of school in Uvalde, Texas. Each of us can remember how excited we were as, as children, uh, as students, but especially we can remember being a parent at the last day of school of our child attended. While Alabama Republican Congressperson Mo Brooks was more blunt, he says the cause of the shooting wasn't guns, but moral decline. What's the big difference between when I was growing up and today? The big difference is a decline in the moral values, a decline in the respect for human life. If we teach proper moral values, if we teach respect for human life, if we properly address uh, mental health issues that may somehow or another be associated with all these things, then that is the way to fix the problem. Adding, if you don't like it, amend the Constitution and get rid of the Second Amendment, if you can. The Second Amendment is designed to help ensure that we, the citizenry, always have the right to take back our government should it become dictatorial. That was a great fear of the founding fathers, and quite frankly, it's a fear today. And as long as we enjoy uninfringed Second Amendment rights, then we don't really have to worry that much about the government ever becoming dictatorial. But the moment that we take from our citizenry, our ability to take our government back is the moment that the ability of dictatorial forces increases to the point where perhaps they will try 
to implement a dictatorial government at the federal uh, level. So I want to protect the Second Amendment right to bear arms. The amendment is very clear. It says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. If there are proposals out there that guarantee uh, the rights of the American people to freely exercise their Second Amendment right to bear and keep arms, then I'll consider them. But if you're talking about depriving people of their Second Amendment right to bear arms, well, first, it's unconstitutional. So you're going to have to address that with a constitutional amendment, and we'll see how Congress and the states react to that kind of measure. Alabama Representative Mo Brooks, but Democratic Senate leader Chuck Schumer was having none of it. He called out Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott as a fraud. What an absolute fraud the governor of Texas is. And this is the same Governor Abbott who tomorrow, tomorrow, will go speak at the NRA convention in Houston. Governor Abbott, will you ask your MAGA buddies and your NRA pals to put aside their agendas and think of someone other than themselves, like you asked the families to do? Will you ask the gun manufacturing reps who will swarm over the NRA convention to put aside their agendas and think about someone other than themselves? Of course not. The governor, Governor Abbott, is more likely to outline some new plan to further loosen gun restrictions. No amount of bloodshed seems to be enough. The legislation before the Senate today is the Domestic Terrorism Protection Act which I scheduled for a vote earlier this week, before what happened in Uvalde occurred. It was done to respond to the massacre at a supermarket in Buffalo. The bill is so important because the mass shooting in Buffalo was an act of domestic terrorism. We need to call it what it is, domestic terrorism. It was terrorism that fed off the poison of conspiracy theories like white replacement theory, Terrorism that left 10 people dead, a community forever torn asunder. This bill will give the government the tools to monitor, find, and arrest these evil actors before they have a chance to inflict violence on their communities. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer. And finally, former President Donald Trump has been slammed for dancing after reading a list of those who died in the Texas school shooting. The former president danced to the 1966 song Hold On, I'm Coming by Sam and Dave after his speech, during which he read out the names of the victims. And that's... The former president added again. And that's some of the news for Sunday, May 29, 2022. The news producer, Linda Perry, our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. And have a great Memorial Day.